In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christos Anesti. Christ is risen. Today, my beloved, is the third Sunday of the Pentecost period, or the Holy 50 Days. And the church, uh, as we're going through these 50 days, we're living in the resurrected Christ, so we're living in heaven. So this journey in heaven first began with faith uh, in the first week, and then last week, the theme of last week was the Christ is the bread of life, and this week the theme, of course, is Christ as the living water. Um, and the church chose for us this passage from the uh, Samaritan woman, which we're familiar with because we read in the fourth week of the Holy Great Fast. But of course the focus is different. During the fast we focus on the woman's repentance, and during the Holy 50 Days we focus on her new life in Christ or on the new life in her resurrected life after she um, uh, believed in him and went to preach. The Lord offered her living water, and he said to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So it seems like, okay, the water he's going to give will quench their thirst. They'll never thirst again. And not only will they be quenched, but they'll provide this fountain of water to those who are around them. So they'll become themselves a source of refreshment and nourishment to those who are around them. Um, and in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 12, he tells us that, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So the wells of salvation. And then in John chapter 7, the Lord kind of uh, gets to the heart of the matter and, and reveals to us exactly what this living water is. He says, He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And these rivers of living water is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And St. John later will explain to them that this living water is the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit within us is this living water that ought to be within us not only something that nourishes and provides all that we need, but also a source of nourishment to those who are around us. So can my life overflow with the Holy Spirit and the work of God in me? I think so. Let's consider a few examples of how um, a person's work can overflow in a positive way to those uh, who are around, the, around you. Number one, holding fast our faith and our traditions. If you remember the story of Daniel and the three youth, they were taken into the Babylonian captivity and taken out of their land. They had no temple, they had no parents, they were in a foreign land, they were in the king's palace and perhaps were being interviewed for a job. Uh, so they were given all of this luxurious food as the king eats. They were taught a foreign language, they were given new names. Everything was given to them so that they could forget their old life and begin a new and better life as so it seemed. And we see when Daniel was offered the king's delicacies to eat so he can become, you know, healthier in front of the king, he says no. He says, the Bible says that he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. So why, Daniel? Well, because in my land we're fasting. I'm eating vegetables at this time and water. So he told them, give me this vegetables and water and test me after 10 days comparing to the people who ate of the king's delicacies. And certainly after 10 days, he looked 10 times better than all those who ate of the king's delicacies. Because he held fast to his tradition. 
to what he believed, despite him being in a foreign land, right? We are foreigners in this land, in this world. We are sojourners, as we say in the Divine Liturgy. We're sojourners. Our place is in heaven, right? So can we hold fast to our tradition and to our faith? And by doing so, we become a light to those who are around us. Certainly, the chief of the eunuch who was there and saw Daniel look healthy after 10 days. I don't know about you, but, you know, during the Holy 50 days, we tend to, um, let's just say we eat a little bit too much, right? So we say, okay, I'm going to exercise. But usually, you know, in 10 days, we don't see a big difference. Whether I exercise or whether I eat, the weight that I'm going to gain or lose is not significant in 10 days. So certainly Daniel's appearance that changed in 10 days was the work of God. And the people around him observed this, right? So they they would glorify God. The same with the three youth. The three youth, they were told to worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they said, everybody else bowed and worshipped except for these three. And he got angry and he said, look, if you don't worship, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they didn't. Then what happened, as we know, as the fire was hot, the fourth among them was the likeness of the Son of Man, or the Son of God, and they were walking and singing and praising God in the midst of the fiery furnace. What was the king and the people's response? Nebuchadnezzar said, he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the uh, Chaldean names that he gave them who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trust in him. Now this is a pagan person who doesn't believe in the God of Israel. And look at the witness that he's witnessing. Uh, and he has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trust in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. He's speaking about his word. They have frustrated my word because in their disobedience they were glorified. And yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks against anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So we see here the power of witnessing to our faith and our tradition and it can affect the people who are around us. How is it to be, you think that we are called as Orthodox Christians to minister to the world as being a light, as being a beacon to truth, tradition, and holiness? So when people see us, they ask, okay, what is it that makes you like this? And we tell them simply, it's my faith. Well, what is your faith? And we begin to explain to them. This is it. So holding fast our tradition and to our faith will help the rivers of living water flow to those who are around us. Also, submitting one's life in the hands of God can also be a source of nourishment to those who are around us. If you remember the story of Joseph um, in the Old Testament, when his brothers mistreated him and they threw him in the well and ultimately sold him to the Midianites and the Midianites sold him to Potiphar uh, in Egypt. All, through all of these stages, we don't hear him rebel, nor do we hear him, you know, plead his case. This wasn't me. They they mistreated me. I'm not really a slave. I'm the son of uh, Jacob. He didn't hear any of this. But he simply submitted to God's will in a really incredible way. But he trusted in God that even during these hardships, God is with him and God will glorify him. And he gave him these few glimpses on the way, ultimately before he became the second man in Egypt. All right? 
And then what happened when he became the second man in Egypt, when he submitted his life to God's will, is that um, he became uh, a one who would save not only himself and his family, but all of uh, Egypt and the surrounding regions. St. Paul says some, something uh, similar to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says to them, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So what is he saying here? He says, whether you are called to be Christian while you are a slave or while you are free, this really doesn't matter. Because you can be a Christian in either way and in any circumstance that you're in. Because this Holy Spirit that you have been given is not bound by prison, is not bound by place, is not bound by anything. But I can be a faithful Christian in the midst of a prison cell. I can be in the midst of uh, slavery or whatever it is, hardship that I'm in. I can be a Christian in that place and be a light. We know St. Paul, towards the end of his ministry, he was under house arrest. While he was in house arrest, he wrote four epistles while he was there. He ministered to many, converted many, all while being under house arrest. Imagine what he would have done when he, if he had his freedom, right? But this didn't hinder him in any way. When they were in prison, they wrote letters. When they were not in prison, they would preach in the synagogues and in the streets, right? <clears throat> so when we uh, put our life in God's hands, this will be uh, a witness and a fountain springing up to those uh, who are around us. I'll remind you of what Joseph said to his brothers when they came, ultimately when they found, when he revealed to him that he was their brother, they were terrified because they remembered what they did. Look what his response was to them. He says, Do not be afraid, for am I in place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people's lives, and save many people alive. So he's saying, you meant it as evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. So what did this mean? It means he considered their evil as being a goodness from God. I think if we can think this way, and if the people around us can think this way, the world would be a much better place. Or even there is something that happens to me that seems to be evil or, or bad, perhaps this can be something good through God. And it can, over and over again. And you'll find sometimes, you know, in the midst of our life, something, you know, we perceive as being bad that happens to us. But I think if we look at the situation carefully, we can think, okay, what is God's message for me in this? What is God's message? And it can be the simplest of things. But you'll see God can t speak with you even through these, you know, times where we feel like we're being insulted or somebody's being aggressive with us or, you know, any hardship. We can ask God, what is it that you want me to learn or endure during this time? The third thing is that we can um, also never stop, or the last thing, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, the third thing is sacrificing oneself. This can be a fountain of living water that flows from us to those who are around us. If you remember again the story of St. Stephen, who was a, a, the, one of the deacons, and he was very fresh in his service, very new, and he began to serve, and immediately 
he was captured, and he was ultimately stoned to death because of his Christianity. And he was only preaching for a very short time. Actually, we didn't have one sermon for him, and that was it. It was a very nice one, and a very long one. But he gave this defense, and then he was killed. You might say, why, Lord? He would have been very useful if he kept him for the church. But he says, yes, there is one who is actually witnessing to his death, which uh, I will use. We'd never, if we were there, we would have never expected Saul of Tarsus to be the one who would preach Christianity to all of the region at the time. We would have never expected this. But because St. Stephen was willing to give his life for the sake of Christ, he became a fountain to those who are around him. Perhaps St. Paul may have been the only fruit, but we don't know. Maybe many other people witnessed his martyrdom, and this became a fountain and a source of life for them. Certainly, St. Paul was affected by witnessing St. Stephen's martyrdom. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 1. He says to the Galatians, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So he tried to destroy the church of God. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, so look here, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he says it's through the grace of God he chose to call me to be a Christian. He looks at this at night, he says, I was a criminal. But by God's grace, he himself appeared to me. I don't deserve this. That's why he says to himself about himself, I am the chief among sinners. And you're not saying this kid has some imitation humility. He believed it. He said, if God didn't save me from this way, I would have killed many Christians and there, more of their blood would have been on my head. So he thanks God for the grace that he has given. And how was this made possible? Perhaps the seeds of St. Stephen's martyrdom lingered in his mind and in his head. So when he appeared to him, he feared him immediately. The last way that the Holy Spirit can be within us, a fountain to those who are around us, is by never stopping to believe in people. Never stop believing in people. Being an encourager. And I was speaking with the priest servants yesterday about St. Barnabas. And St. Barnabas was this kind of person. He believed in people. Right? Despite their mistakes, despite, you know, their sins, they believed that they could become better. St. Paul, after his conversion, of course he was well renowned as being somebody who's a killer of the Christians, but after his prompts or a very quick conversion, he preached a little in Damascus, and then when they wanted to kill him, he escaped in a basket and they took him to Jerusalem to meet the rest of the apostles. But what happens when he got there? It says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Why? Because just a couple of weeks ago, he was killing us and dragging us and dragging Christians from Damascus and Syria all the way to Israel and Jerusalem to try them and kill them. And he had this authority through the high priest. So this man, you're going to tell me, within two weeks, he's now preaching Christ? you got to be kidding me. So they were scared of him. They were scared of him. And they said, no, we don't want to meet him. But it says what? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He was his advocate. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name 
of the Lord in the name of Jesus. So he was an advocate for him. And he says, you know what? Give him a chance. He did this, 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 and this. Right? Although they all thought something negative of him. How many times have we read something on social media about somebody and we chimed in with a negative comment or a negative emoji? And how many of us could stick up for someone or be their advocate? Or say, you know what? Maybe this was a mistake. We all make mistakes. You know what? We shouldn't make fun of a person because of this or that. How many of us advocate for each other? And then how many of us slander each other and make each other look bad? If we want to be this fountain of living water that's from us flows the Holy Spirit's work unto all the people around us, we need to be their advocate, somebody who you know, believes in them that they can become better. There's a story of uh, in, in the life of Thomas Edison, and some say it's with Albert Einstein, but uh, they said that uh, Thomas Edison, of course, you know, he was the inventor of the light bulb and so on. It says that uh, he came home from school one day with a letter from his school and uh, from the, 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 school, the school teacher. And in this letter, when his mother opened it, um, she opened it and she began to weep when she was reading this letter. So he says, Mommy, what's in, what's in the letter? What's in the letter? And they told him, don't open it. You have to give it to your mom only. Um, so she gathered herself, and as she opened the letter, she began to read to his son the letter. And she said, uh, this is what the letter said. Your son is a genius. The school is not advanced enough, nor does, uh, nor does it have enough good teachers to teach him well. Please teach him yourself. So he took this and he was, wow, this is amazing. So she began to homeschool him until he got, you know, uh, through the young, uh, grades. And later in his life, as he's kind of visiting his mother, and of course he became successful and a scientist and so on, he was visiting his mother's house and she had this box and in this box she had preserved this uh, this letter. He didn't know it, but he opened this piece of paper and he found that this was the letter from the school. So he opened the school, opened the letter, and the letter had stated the following. It says, Your son is mentally ill. He can no longer attend our school. He is expelled. Please teach him yourself. So this is what the letter that she read, and she wept when she read it. But what she told him is what she believed that he could do. And because she you know, communicated this to him, this is what he became. Right. So the power of our encouragement and our words to others really has significance and meaning. When we tell our children in tefashil, or you're, you, know, you, you don't do as well as so-and-so, they will live exactly what you say. When you say you're a troublemaker, you're annoying, and you're this, they'll become exactly what you say. And with our peers, not just with the parents, with our peers. And if you think about it, the Lord Jesus with the Samaritan woman, he encouraged her. She had five husbands. The one she had wasn't her husband. He could have got on her case because of yani, this kind of life. But he believed in her that she would be a great evangelist. So he, he let her pull out of her confession very briefly. And then he began to speak to her about heavenly things, revealed himself to her, and then she went to Samaria and preached. And actually, St. Philip would end up going to Samaria later. And this is why the Lord was saying here that there are many who have entered into their labors um, and both he who sows and reaps will rejoice. So actually, St. Philip entered into Samaria and there are already believers there. Why? Because of the Samaritan woman. Right? So he knew what she could become. So he encouraged her. When he met the woman who was caught in adultery, 
He didn't judge her, but he encouraged her and said, go and sin no more. When he met with Zacchaeus, again he encouraged him. He repented and then he said, salvation has come to this household. So we can be this, you know, river of flowing water to those who are around us when we encourage them and be their advocate. All of us, my beloved, who are baptized, have given, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit and we ought to uh, be nourished by the Holy Spirit and nourish those who are around us. And we said that we can do so by four things. Holding fast to our faith and tradition. Number two is submitting one's life in the hands of God. Being willing to sacrifice one's life for God. And maybe we're not called to be martyrs. But I think living our life, you know, in a way that God comes first and not me. Okay, this is how I, we can live rather than maybe if we're not called or worthy of being martyrs. And lastly, never stop believing in people and encouraging them. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.